Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roots Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. The Roost Podcast is part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. I'm going to start giving you grades. Can like, like the, the Russian yeah. judge? That that was that was at least a nine and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it, it's getting smoother. It's we're we're starting to find the rhythm with it. I think, uh, you know, moving the 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 network part to the end, and then, um, yeah, just, just just been tweaking the phrasing a little bit. You know, we're it's like we're we're tweaking the timing. You know, we're in like the like we're running RPOs, and the I'm I'm the quarterback working on you know how how quickly do I pull the ball from the mesh point uh, to to get the throw in. So you know we're. We've we've got the play down and now we're uh, now we're tweaking the mechanics. Just everything is greener with the move to the AAC. Yeah, yeah. I, and actually, I, I did a quick update this week on Conference USA baseball teams and how things went in the I guess last week in the in the postseason tournaments. Uh, and I as I wrote out Conference USA baseball in this update I'm doing, I'm like, am I ever going to type Conference USA? on the roost ever again. And like, I'm sure the word will appear at some point as a reference to the past, but I might be done like actively discussing it. Yeah. Is the move official so at the, at the beginning of July, July 1st. Yeah, there we go. So it's, we got, uh, well, as of the time you hear this podcast, uh, we have like two weeks left. Weeks. Yeah. So yeah, we are, uh, you know, just, summer scheduling things we are recording this uh about a week in advance of when it'll release so if some massive earth-shattering <laughs> college football or rice-based news comes out on like uh i don't know wednesday the 14th or something like that and you're like how dare matt and carter are our voices of reason football not you know not discuss this issue how, how dare they let us down uh it's it's not intentional it's just you know pr- production side production things so we'll we'll uh don't worry I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll be there to discuss it very soon yeah we're we're prioritizing y'all in the midst of uh the busy things of the summer we want to make sure you have right well i guess i was going to say rice football talk but this is uh going to be some tulane football talk all aac i'm actually learning a lot from these episodes so they're good for me too and you mentioned july well we mentioned july 1st the move to the aac uh, becoming official, Rice will soon be in the AAC. We'll get to write AAC or the American, the American, the American. on things. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a, I don't know, like a bad '90s movie. I'm sure there is one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Oresco. We'll get there. Uh, but I wanted to say, uh, if you stay tuned, I haven't plugged Patreon in a while, but. We got some things coming around the corner that might coincide with Rice moving to the AAC, uh, some announcements, some things that are going to be on there that are going to be Rice-related, AAC-related that you might want to be a Patreon subscriber. Uh, hint, hint, you know, eyebrow raised. This is not a visual medium, but you catch my drift. You might want to go over <laughs> to uh, find the roost on Patreon and subscribe so you are abreast of everything that's going on. Uh, there so uh, first one off the top and then as always you should use the code roost you should go to homefieldapparel.com you should buy 
We plugged, I think we talked about a Tulane t-shirt awkwardly enough last week when we weren't talking about Tulane. But go buy something. Get ready for the upcoming football season in the comfiest. It's not even the comfiest, just like college shirt I own. It might be the comfiest shirt I own. They're so soft. They're so incredibly soft. It's amazing. Um, and yeah, also like... It, since we we've plugged every other school's merchandise, we might as well plug the rice ones. Like I have the very first uh, home field piece I ordered. Um, I ordered well the the Rammer Jammer Yellowhammer Alabama shirt and the rice hoodie that has the old like sailor hat Sammy logo on it. And if you go and look at this thing, it's it's from this you know there's a very particular era of college football where everybody had the sailor hat mascot. I'm sure someone has written the long form piece on the history of these things. But I think sickos uh, like on Twitter, like congregated them all together in a graphic. Yeah. At one point. Yeah. I think they have, but, um, and most of them, some of them are better than others. They all follow the same basic themes. Um, like the mascots are all supposed to look like tough while they're wearing these jaunty sailor hats, which is kind of hilarious. But, uh, most of them look sort of like mildly disgruntled or just like shocked or disgusted. Like, the Sammy one is great because he's just it's his face is sort of like tilted to the side and he's giving you this it's this side eye and it's the most like deeply skeptical like he's incredibly disappointed in your choices. It's a really it's it's one of it's like bias Top aside five. it's it's one of my favorite expressions if you look at all of them together um the Sammy one just just the deep like the you know what you did is what that face says to you. It's fantastic. I have I love it. I love the hoodie so much. I have this hoodie in the mail as we speak coming to me right now, or I guess hopefully it should be here soon. And I'm I'm very excited. So both we both endorse the Sammy hoodie. Uh, go grab it. Use the code Roost. Get fifteen percent off. Save money, and you can match us, which I'm sure was your aspiration in life yeah. coming into yeah, this podcast. You know, by the time you hear this, it will probably be too late to order something for your dad and have it arrive by Father's Day. But you know what? Dad gets to his home improvement projects on his own time, and you can get to his gift on your own time. He'll understand. So, you know, never too late. Absolutely. All right. And we're here now with Kelly from Fear the Wave to talk all things uh, the current uh reigning champion and darlings of our of rice's new conference to talk the Tulane green wave how's how's it going man going well thanks for having me are you ready for the new season to begin because that will that take you off the high that all Tulane fans currently must the rose tinted high that all Tulane fans must be riding right now you know I think that um January seems like it was yesterday, but then it also seems like three years ago. So it, it just kind of depends on the day. We're ready for some more football. I think that when uh, somebody said this to me today, I think when your team is playing well and a lot's expected of them, every game becomes that much more exciting and more important. And I think uh, we got used to having that high every Saturday. And, you know, hopefully we can uh, repeat some of that this year. Yeah, I mean, Tulane has got to be probably the, I don't know if it's the the blueprint that every G5 program wants to follow. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but there are certainly a lot of programs right now around the country that would like to know the ingredients that Willie Fritz uh, spritzed into 
uh, whatever is going on. Is it the the jambalaya or the uh, some some Cajun food down in New Orleans that that turned a a team? And we were talking right before the podcast about it wasn't that long ago that things were not so rosy at, at Tulane, and we were one eleven instead of eleven and one or whatever. So what was the uh, what was the secret sauce as far as you can you can see, and and can they keep it going? Yeah, I think uh, it was a slow burn. It was a um, a deliberate brick by brick effort to build a you know form a culture and um, build a a roster that can compete at this level. I think when uh, Coach Fritz took over, they probably had fourteen or fifteen guys that you could throw out there in an AAC game, and they were you know they weren't overmatched, but the rest of the roster needed a total overhaul. And they've done a really good job of talent evaluation and of getting guys to come in who have bought into the system and the program. I mean, two years ago, we were two and 10. So, you know, it's not like it's been all, um, all up, you know, we, we did have that Valley there and um, coach Fritz and, and the players really, um, had a players only meeting in January of 2022. And it's kind of a famous meeting in, in Tulane circles where the four captains got up and said, we're, you know, we're going to the conference championship this year. And they laid out the blueprint and it was a very much uh, player run team last year, but they were allowed to do that because of the culture that coach Fritz has created. I'm going to be honest. I kind of feel like I just heard Coach Fritz giving me the coach speak blueprint of <laughs> here's how you do it. Because you said that. He's like, you got to get a culture. You got to develop. You got to have lead, team, uh, player led team. Like, I, I, I kid you not, I have heard Mike Bloomgren say all of those things to me. So, therefore, by, by process, Rice is reigning AAC champs in 2023, 10 and 2. Can we book it if if that's all we need to do? Look, if if you can do that, um, you know, <laughs> and I I don't know if we can do it again. To be honest with you, I mean, it's it was a um, it was a it was a hard climb, and um, to stay up top is even harder. And so I think that um, you also have to look at anytime you have a good coach and a good quarterback, you're probably going to win the majority of your games. If you can surround that good quarterback with weapons and have a good defense you're going to have a chance to win all of your games and I think that that's really what what happened to us last year we had a great defense we had probably possibly the best quarterback we've ever had in the history of our, our school in Michael Pratt um, and he returns again this year so it's you know that gives you a lot of hope um, that you can stay up on on top of the mountain for another year so I want to talk a little bit about the, so you mentioned coach and quarterback, and I think a lot of that rings true, but I want to talk about Willie Fritz and the coaching piece here, because I think a, a commonality that we can see when we look at programs at this level that have had sustained success, a handful of them have seen some turnover at the coaching position. Uh, but if you look at the the G5 or whatever we're calling it now programs that have been around for five, six, seven, eight years, a lot of them you can point to the coach that was there and sustained them. I know that there was a, a point in this offseason where it, fe- it felt 
or it seemed from public reports that it was likely that Willie Fritz was not going to be the head coach at Tulane in 2023. Uh, obviously, it's big that he's he's still there, but kind of walk us through all of that drama and your emotional roller coaster and, you know, what what you felt in the moment of how likely this was to to making it to another year. Yeah, you know, it was really confusing because um, the news broke right after Tulane beat Cincinnati on the road uh, the day after Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, Willie Fritz to Georgia Tech was almost a done deal, uh, if you, depending on who you ask. And I don't really know how close it was to getting done or if it was done, but I do know that Coach Fritz made it a deal breaker that he was going to coach that conference championship game. And if they wanted him to leave before that conference championship game, it wasn't going to happen. And, you know, if you believe the reports, that was a sticking point. And uh, Georgia Tech and, and Coach Fritz decided to go their own separate ways. So, you know, it was a, uh, it was fortuitous for us. We've been in this position before in 1998 where we had Tommy Bowden and Sean King and, you know, uh, Tommy Bowden left before the season was over. He didn't coach the bowl game. And, you know, we lost all of our momentum. This time around, we get to keep the coach and we get to keep the quarterback. And personally, I feel like Coach Fritz is here for the long haul. Um, you know, he's worked out an extension with the school and they're doing a lot of the things that he wanted to see us do to take Tulane to the next level. So, you know, I think we have a chance to capture this momentum and uh, ride it out for a lot longer. Yeah, and one interesting factor there is that, and, you know, obviously there is, based on the Georgia Tech thing, there is maybe still some part of him that wants to maybe try things out at kind of the Power 5 level. But, like, Willie Fritz is not young, um, which maybe I'll get in trouble because I'm looking at his, his Wikipedia now and he's exactly one... <laughs> He's one day older than my mom, so I'm not gonna make any make any usage of the the O word here. But he's he's not young. He's <laughs> he's uh, there is a certain amount of of you know, unlike say when Scott Frost was at UCF or um, uh, even oh, I'm blanking uh, Cincinnati Fickle when Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. There's not like oh, this is the young, hungry coach who is, you know, obviously sees this as a stepping stone job. Like, you, you've got to figure there's a certain point where which you're, it's which you're like, hey, you know, you have a really good setup here. Things are going really well. If you can keep this train running and you're, you know, not a 42-year-old who's, who's eager to move on to, to the next place, like, as a fan, especially, that's got to make you feel like a little bit more comfortable with the situation and how likely you are to lose him in the future. Yeah, I, I, we do feel pretty good about that. But we also, um, getting to know Coach Fritz a little bit, you can see that he sees this job in a different way, especially in the ever-changing landscape of you know college football right now, where you have a season like we had last year, and all of a sudden, you know, realignment rumblings start and you're starting to get mentioned. And, you know, starting next year, there's going to be a G5 um, place in the college football playoff. So I think that he sees this job, and this is total speculation on my part, but just from knowing what kind of competitor he is, he thinks either Tulane can be that 
um, contender for that G5 spot on a regular basis or uh, possibly level up to one of the Power Five conferences eventually. Now that you kind of mentioned that, I'm, I'm trying to think through the last time we had a coach who was north of 60 who had been at a program for a sustained time and had a spike like this. And I'm struggling because you go through all the names. I think back at like Chris Peterson at Boise state and even Arkansas state had like one had what four guys that did it, but all of them were young and up and took the next job. I'm trying to think the last time we've had a guy who had been somewhere. Cause this is Fritz's, this is going to be your eight. Yeah. I remember I had my notes. Some, yeah, you're eight and to, to have it in year seven and to make that pop. I, I'm trying to think if I can think of a comparable and I, I don't know if I can. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a, a complete teardown job. And that's what I think that's what makes the, uh, the accomplishment that much, you know, more satisfying that it did take seven full years for us to get here. And prior to uh, 2021, you know, he had taken us to three straight bowls and that had never happened, but we hadn't gotten over that hump yet. And we never gotten over that six, uh, seven win hump. We'd win six in the regular season. We'd get the bowl win and then we go, you know, we go seven and six. And, you know, we thought that 2021 was going to be that year. And then we had the hurricane and our players had to evacuate. They lived in Birmingham for a couple of months and we just, you know, it, it would just, oh, wow. So we thought that was going to be the start of the, uh, the real ascent. And then to go two and 10 and turn around in year six, you know, some people might've thought that coach Fritz had lost the team or that, you know, the momentum had, had stopped, but we turned right around and kind of picked up where we left off, where we thought we were leaving off in 2020 and, uh, and took it to the next level. So I do think that that's, um, I, I don't see another coach that's done that in year seven, but I also haven't seen another coach that's steadily moved up the ranks every from high school to junior college to, you know, division two, FCS, the Sun Belt, then the AAC, like Willie Fritz has. So, I mean, he, he's ascending still in his sixties. Incremental progress. Exactly. Incremental progress. And then it takes off like a rocket. It does. I mean, that sounds good. Yeah, it's kind of strange. You do so rarely see guys who like you look at his his the list of his coaching jobs. It, it is literally like you 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 had it exactly in order. Like you go JUCO. It's got to be a long SES. Like it is, yeah. But a guy who is just continuous. Like normally, there's more like I don't know. You take a coordinator job. You you know you move yeah. up or down a level. You go whatever. Like he's just been a head coach continuously and just moving up in levels of football since for 30 years, which is a rarity in and of itself. Um, so definitely a guy who has had not the typical career. Um, and it's crazy that now we have players on the team whose fathers actually played for coach Fritz. So uh, one of our receivers, what? 
his dad played for Coach Fritz at Blinn Junior College, and now he's uh, his son is playing uh, for Coach Fritz at Tulane. I don't know if I knew That's Willie Fritz, Willie Fritz coached at Blinn. He coached yeah. man, small world. I get. I about to say. I I think I need to read through the list because it sounds like it's. I knew it was lengthy, but man, that's crazy. We're continuing our theme of uh, what we had coaches' sons. Now we have players' sons playing for said coaches. <laughs> a different theme to every episode. There we go. And then not a son, or I mean, he's somebody's son. But I wanted to ask you specifically about Michael Pratt because, as Rice fans know, a quarterback can make all the difference. Uh, we were, you know, looking back that 2008, those early years, it was great. Rice had a quarterback. We haven't had one for a while. And it's been rough sailing. But you had Michael Pratt. He has this big year. And then in conjunction with that, uh, I know, and we talked to you, we had you on the podcast, I think, last year when the move to the AAC was announced for Rice. And we talked to you a little bit then about NIL and what was going on there. So two-part question, Michael Pratt. Uh, had the same kind of uh, flirtation, I believe, as Coach Fritz did with elsewhere. Uh, ended up coming back to Tulane. Um, how big of a deal was that? And then does where does NIL fit into that mix? And does it happen with or without that? Both good questions. I think that, um, first off, I'd say Michael didn't really have a flirtation with, with other schools as much as other schools tried to um, flirt with him. And, uh, you know, I think as a G5 school, if you look around, um, you can see, you know, Mike McIntyre tweeting last week about, uh, you know, somebody trying to poach one of his players. And, you know, Jeff Trailer was out very <laughs> makes me so laugh. All these coaches, you shall tampering. And I'm like, it's yeah. not tampering because they're not under contract. Yeah. You're under contract and you're talking to other schools. You're tampering. <laughs> Exactly. But you know, I think Mike, Michael was never out in the transfer portal or anything, but, you know, obviously in this era of college football, I mean, you know, things are happening and, and conversations are being had with, with advisors of players or, you know, even high school coaches and stuff. And you can't control that stuff, but Michael, to his credit, was extremely loyal to Tulane. Um, you know, NIL did play a factor in that, but, you know, not to the extent that people would probably think, um, you know, I think had we not had an NIL program and had it not been as strong as it is right now, um, could we have, have lost some players possibly, um, you know, even coach Fritz has, has made it a, a priority and that factored into, um, some of the things he wanted to see happen. He wanted to see our, our collective grow and, and be able to support the team more. Um, so I, I do think that um, NIL for programs in the AAC is going to be used more as a shield than a recruiting enticement. It, it's going to be a shield against other teams coming in and, um, you know, successfully taking your guys after you've developed them for two or three years. Yeah, it's it's you're you're never going to be able to outbid the 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 big boys of the world, so oh, to speak. <laughs> but if you like, you get a guy who's been in your program, who's loyal to the program, who wants to stay. As long as you can 
get him some I, I can see to where and you know, Kelly, since you actually work with the collective, I can I you might be able to speak more to this, but I, it seems to me like if you could get together there are a lot of guys who would want to stay, and as long as you can get them something, then that kind of meets the bar that you need. Yeah, you want you want guys who have earned the earned the right to um, you know capitalize on their on their status. You want you want to compensate them to a point at least where they feel like their work has been appreciated and their. Um, you know, their status is being recognized, but you have to understand who you are and what you're doing and uh, understand that this is a, you know, 110 player football roster and right. you've got to be, um, you've got to be smart about it. But the, the, the thing that we really pride ourselves on is we never overpromise our guys. And if we say we're going to do something, we always follow through. We don't want to be in that Florida um, predicament. <laughs> You're making these ridiculous offers and, and you can't even make the first uh, first payment. So we we have a lot of, uh, uh, I think, a high degree of trust between us and, and the players on our rosters. And, um, you know, when decisions like that need to be made, I think that factors into it. No $13 million contracts being handed out at Tulane. Uh, no. Or at Florida, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Definitely not. What an interesting... I mean, and it's it's interesting that you... The way that you describe it as a shield, because I, it's... You know, I talk... I think back to all of the things that um, were said about NIL when it was first, you know, initially trickling out and then the outrage that many i won't say all but many coaches had against the the concept and how it was going to be used but it 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 is sounds to me like from what you're saying and and your experience that it is a part of the puzzle but if i if we go back to the first question i asked you how did Tulane pull off this season you didn't mention NIL it was yeah. i'm sure it was part of it but ultimately it's players and coaches yeah, I don't think it was, and I don't think NIL played a huge part in our success last year. I, I honestly don't. I think that, um, you know, we weren't in a position to do a lot with our collective heading into last season. So the guys that came back um, and the, the leadership of that team was coming back to finish the job that they started. You know, some of those guys had opportunities to transfer to other schools and and if they wanted to try to make money they could have jumped in the transfer portal and found another home at an sec school and made a lot of money but the education and i'm sure you know rice is the same way you have to recruit a certain type of guy that's going to be successful not only in your program but in your school and those type of individuals, once they get close to that degree, they're not going to throw that away to go make, you know, $50,000 at another school. They're going to stick it out and they're going to get their degree. And, um, you know, some of them get their graduate degree. And that's what we had last year with guys like Nick Anderson, Dorian Williams, um, two of our, our main leaders who, who stuck around. Um, now, in this last offseason, I think our NIL did help us, um, 
you know, keep guys from wondering what it's like in that portal. You know, the success obviously played a much bigger part, but the NIL is a smaller piece that keeps that curiosity at bay. And let's talk about uh, a little bit more of those guys. We talked about Michael Pratt, but, um, and, you know, last time we had you, we had you on, we talked big picture AAC things, uh, I believe. We didn't talk much at all about players on the team, and obviously some guys gone, but a lot of guys back. Um, I know that we've had other folks on this podcast. We've asked about players they enjoy watching. Michael Pratt was on the list. Jaquan Jackson, wide receiver, was also on the list that, Tulane getting a lot of love from AAC peers, but walk me through, obviously Tajay Spears uh, off to the NFL was probably the big loss on offense, but kind of how does that side of the ball uh, stack up coming into to 2023? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a different uh, team for us. You know, when you've got your quarterback coming back in his fourth year starting, uh, I think we're going to rely on him a little bit more um, Willie Fritz always wants to run the ball and that's, he's been a run first coach his entire career, but I think more so this year than any year, um, Tulane has a chance to open it up and throw the ball more. Um, so at, as far as running backs are concerned, we have a, um, a rising, I guess he's a, a fourth year sophomore. And, uh, <laughs> Tell me how many years you have left because I I can't keep up. With yeah, we talked about this last week. Blood, the the <laughs> se- uh, at least until the everyone is out of the COVID eligibility, the um, the the the, the class year eligibility thing is is not going to be a useful metric. Absolutely. So, Shoddy Clayton Johnson is uh a, is probably going to be our our starting tailback he is a Colorado transfer who was a four-star recruit a local kid from New Orleans who spent two years at Colorado and um, was Tajay's primary backup last year I think he rushed for just under 400 yards Um, he's a bigger back uh, with good speed he'll probably be the starter but there there's going to probably be a, a heavy rotation at running back but receiver is where Tulane has never been strong before but this is probably their strongest group of receivers in the last 20 years or so. They've got speed, uh, speed to burn. We've got Jaquan Jackson, as you mentioned, is uh, coming back for his last year. Uh, Lawrence Keyes, a Notre Dame transfer who played well for us last year, is returning. Then we have uh, two transfers, a transfer from Louisiana Lafayette named Dante Fleming, um, who is possibly the fastest receiver in our group. Um, and then a transfer from Texas A&M named Yule Keith Brown out of Miami, um, who's another guy who figures to play a lot. Um, and then we've developed some younger guys in Bryce Bohannon, um, smaller kind of slot receiver, and Chris Brazel, who's a 6'5 outside guy. He, he's the guy whose dad played for Coach Fritz at, uh, at Blinn and, and eventually played in the NFL with the Cowboys and the Jets. So, you know, we're we're much more capable of throwing the ball now um but i think the strength of our offense could possibly be the offensive line we returned four out of five starters and we replaced our starting left tackle with a transfer from lsu and cam wire who started i think 11 or 12 games in the sec so um we're strong on offense um very few holes there losing ty j is obviously going to be a big uh big loss we're going to have to replace his explosive plays kind of by committee this year. 
I mean, you ran down the list. So the the depth obviously looks pretty nice. So you can get to, and having man four out of five on the offensive line is is huge. And Cam Wire is a name that a lot of people know, even folks that are just casual college football fans. He'd been around for a while. So, yeah, he's, I mean, any noticeable holes? Any, any, well, any what's keeping you up at night? Um. You know, honestly, uh, not much on offense. I, I feel really comfortable about the offense. Um, believe it or not, one of the toughest guys to replace on our offense is going to be Will Wallace, who is our uh, one of our starting tight ends, who caught probably five passes last year. And Will is an outstanding blocker and made a lot of plays in our run game happen. And so if I think if you talk to our coaches, they would say that, you know, he was probably one of the toughest guys to replace. And we've got a transfer from South Florida named Chris Carter, who's come in and figures to play a little bit. Um, you know, we have some younger tight ends, including Alex Bauman, who caught the um, game winning touchdown in the Cotton Bowl, who figures to play a much bigger role this year. So at tight end, we're a little bit young, a little bit inexperienced behind Chris Carter. But, you know, I think overall, we, we feel pretty comfortable where we're at. Yeah, there's the the major, the elite blocking tight end is a probably a position, especially for guys that aren't kind of do it all and and catch a lot of passes to like, you know, you get guys like Gronk or George Kittle or whatever that are great blockers too and people know about them. But the guys who don't catch a lot of passes, people I think don't realize how significant that is to an offense that wants to run the ball a lot and the way it can having that guy and not like that blocks like an offensive lineman, but isn't and gives you that kind of mobility and versatility across the formation like that unlocks so much, especially for a run game as sort of creative as Fritz is, is these days, obviously he's not really truly a triple option coach anymore, but you still see those influences and to, lose the guy that does that for you has a bigger impact on offenses than a lot of people realize I think yeah if you go back and look at the at the cotton bowl we had several explosive runs and there's one where Tajay Spears runs into his blocker and then breaks breaks out the backside. and if you watch that play Will Wallace held his block for a good three and a half seconds and allowed Tajay to get outside and that happened probably once or twice a game where his abilities to sustain blocks broke plays that wouldn't have been there otherwise. I'm, I'm getting a lot of this. It, it just feels very kindred spirits with uh, how, how Fritz is uh, calling, calling things up and, and how Mike Bloomer likes to run things at Rice because, you know, I always I'll ask him, uh, you know, who's the uh, unsung hero? Who's who's the most important person in your, your, your offense? And he always points me to Jack Bradley who is Rice's starting tight end, who I'm, I'm looking up right now, had uh, 260 receiving yards last year, uh, started all 13 games. And what is that? Oh, a catch, 23, 28 catches, a catch and a half a game, something like that. Didn't put up the, the big numbers through the air, but the offense doesn't move without him. Yeah. So... It's 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 fun when you can look back and and you 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 mentioned that play with with Tajay Spears breaking out. You go back and you see it and you can kind of drill it down. You're like, sometimes we need to freeze frame. Just watch this guy. Watch just this guy, and then see how the rest of the offense moves. Yeah, that is pretty cool, you know. And and 
sometimes you're looking back at those plays and you're you're super excited and happy and other times you're just want to throw your drink down because you know that that guy that you want to look at may have blown the block and and ruined a a potential big play (laughs) hopefully not in this case we've had plenty of those over the years yeah it happens but Offense overall looking good. You, you you said that wasn't really the side of the ball that's keeping up you, Knight. So maybe the defense kind of what what's the uh, the cupboard look like for coming back on defense for the Green Wave and just big picture. Uh, how do we feel? What what's the the kind of heartbeat of the unit right now? So defense is um, the main thing. The first thing to mention is that we have a new defensive coordinator in Sheil Wood, who was the defensive coordinator at Troy State last year. Um, our defensive coordinator, Chris Hampton, left to be the co-defensive coordinator at Oregon. So we're going to be running a little bit of a different system. Um, Coach Wood's system is probably a little bit more attacking than Coach Hampton's was. But um, personnel-wise, we're strong on the defensive front. We return all of our starters on the defensive line. Um, and we return, I think we probably return every player on the defensive line rotation except for one and we went nine or ten deep last year so we're very experienced on the defensive line we lost both of our starting linebackers so that's those are that's a position we're going to have to replace um we have two young linebackers that we've you know developed over the last couple of years uh and jesus machado and Corey platt platt is possibly one of the most talented guys on the defensive side of the ball. He runs like a safety, um, but he, but he hits like a linebacker, but he doesn't have that starting experience yet. Machado's played a lot more. He started the AAC championship game when we went to a three linebacker look. Um, and both of those guys actually ended up playing um, the majority of the second half against Kansas state last year, because it was so hot our two starting linebackers were in the uh, the locker room getting IVs. So they've got, they, they have big game experience. They both played a lot of snaps, but they haven't been counted on a lot, um, you know, to carry the load. We added to that mix, Tyler Grubbs, who you might be familiar with, who played at uh, Louisiana tech and was all conference for three years in conference USA at Louisiana. Tech. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. That guy's good. Tyler is, we're no longer in Conference USA, so we can say without reservation, um, who in Louisiana would not want to move from Ruston to New Orleans? <laughs> Especially being from New Orleans. You know, Tyler was a guy that was a little bit overlooked in the recruiting process and really went to uh, Louisiana Tech and, and proved that, um, you know, people really slept on him. And, uh, you know, three-time all-conference guy there. Um, coming in is is a huge boost to our defense and our depth uh, i'm sure he's going to play a big role uh during the season um, so linebacker we feel like we have at least three guys there we're going to need that fourth and fifth guy to step up um we have two starting two new starting safeties on the back end as well um we had three uh fifth year senior safeties last year and so they're all gone. Um, Darius Swanson is going to probably play at one safety position. He uh, he's a transfer from uh, Division two school. He was the Division two All American the last two seasons, and um, he's been here since the spring. 
and, and has worked in nicely. And at the other safety, we just got a uh, commitment and we just signed another safety from Louisiana Lafayette named, I, I'm going to butcher his name, but I think it's Cam Pettisglow. Um, he played uh, and started for three years at Louisiana Lafayette, was, uh, I guess, the number two safe, returning safety graded on PFF for whatever that's worth. Um, so he's probably going to be starting at the other safety. And corner is probably where we're strongest on defense. Um, we return Jarius Monroe, who's a first-team all-conference corner last year. Uh, on one side, on the other side, Lance Robinson, who's been – this will be his third year starting as a Kansas State transfer. A uh, local kid from New Orleans is going to start at the other corner. And um, A.J. Hampton, a Northwestern transfer, who was honorable mention all Big Ten, um, is coming in to play kind of that third corner role. So we feel good about corner. We feel good about defensive line. Linebacker and safety are really where the question marks are. Yeah, that's it's, it's interesting as I'm kind of tersing you out and hearing you say that and thinking through. I'm I'm trying to piece through in my head of if I had to pick two of the those four units on defense to have strengths at what units would I rather be strong at and rather be weak at, and I think I might prefer to be strong at defensive line and corner and be willing to to give a little at safety and linebacker. Yeah, I'm thinking that through. Does that make sense? And it, it makes sense in my head. It does. I think the corner is probably the toughest position to play on the football field. So when you can have good corners um, that really frees you up a lot on the back end and with, with a good pass rush, you know, that makes the the corners job even easier. So uh, we did not have a lot of sacks last year. We're looking to put more heat on the quarterback. Uh, we played more of a bend don't break uh, last year, rushing three guys on a lot of pass downs and we almost never blitzed. Um, and we probably rushed four or more, you know, only 50% of the time. So, uh, we played a very, um, conservative, um, you know, we're, we're going to make you throw the ball into a sea of got a sea of hands on the back end. And I think this year we're going to try to, um, rush the passer a little bit more. So that more than anything is the question mark to me is, is what, what is this defense going to look like compared to last year, uh, schematically? And are these talented um, transfers going to mesh well with the current group of guys. It's very on brand. C, Wave, Green, Tulane. I see what you did there. It was very well played. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Also, and, also Matt, I like in your um your you're like, well, I'm I'm thinking through about the positions, which one I would really prioritize being strong at. Uh, congratulations from from first principles, you have arrived at the same general proposition general like like spending proposition that nfl general managers have because, oh this is true there you go like, like think about which position get, <laughs> think about which positions get paid like uh i, I defensive in and corner i say that to say i think you hit the nail on the head there because yeah th those are generally the positions at which you want to prioritize having talent if you obviously in college it's a slightly different thing because you just get good guys everywhere get as good of a guy everywhere as you can but uh yeah it's it's if if you had to pick to be strong or weak at some positions versus others well if there was there only go. a multi-billion dollar organization that's done this for a hundred years <laughs>
Uh, good point. This is a rice podcast. We're trying to educate people, but you know, maybe we need some education ourselves. Um, I'll vouch for that. But um, I did want to ask you a little bit, Kelly. I, I I did take a peek at the schedule for Tulane in 2023, and I don't really want to prognosticate too much about you know we we have all summer to kind of mull through this. But I did see. Uh, Ole Miss on the schedule, which I thought was interesting. And then I, I noticed it was at Yeoman Stadium in New Orleans. Uh, what, because uh, I, I feel like last year, when from an outsider's perspective, when I saw that Tulane had beat Kansas State, I was like, huh, it's kind of neat. There was not really a, any point where I was like, oh, Tulane is about to become a buzzsaw and take over the country. And Kansas State is going to be were they, were they co Big Twelve champions or runner up or something like that? They were no, like they a, were the champion. They they beat the TCU. Outright, yeah. I oh. mean, er, earned the right to get crushed by my other team in the Sugar Bowl. But uh, right. I mean, yeah, no, but they K-State won the conference. Good. Yeah, that's wild. It, so it, is 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 this the tipping point again this year? If if Tulane beats Ole Miss, is are we just nuclear green wave? Actually, can you mix nuclear and waves? But you get the point. Well, you know what? The, what what doesn't get reported on a lot is that we went out the next week after we played Kansas State and lost at home to Southern Miss. And Who, uh, you play Southern Miss immediately after Ole Miss this year. I was yeah. looking. I saw that as well. So we, Southern, I, at Southern Miss, we have a tough one this year. I think that we have um, we open up with South Alabama, who won ten games last year. Um, that, you know, I really wish we were playing, uh, an FCS game or something before that, something to tune up a little bit, but that's going to be a really tough game. And then we go right from that game to playing Ole Miss. That, those are two really tough, um, teams right off the bat. And then, as you said, coming off of Ole Miss, we're back at Southern Miss. So, you know, I, I think it's a sneaky, hard schedule. I think if we come out of those first um four games three and one um i would be satisfied you know if we beat if we beat Ole miss that's great you know we we then put ourselves in position to potentially you know make some noise down the stretch and and yell and scream that we deserve to uh go back to a new year six bowl but if we don't it's not fatal to our season you know i think you have to just keep things in perspective. If we can go, you know, if we can get out of that game relatively healthy with confidence, I think that that is, um, that would be okay. You know, so it would be great to beat Ole Miss. It's, it's great that they're coming to Yuleman. Um, everyone's looking forward to that. We had a game against Oklahoma get canceled a couple of years ago because of the hurricane that was supposed to be at Uleman. So this is the first real huge power five team to come to Uleman since it's been open. Um, so I think that uh, it's going to be a great atmosphere, great game, but, you know, win or lose, as long as we come out of there with confidence and, and not, you know, injured, we'll be fine. Yeah. I was trying to think, cause the, it's uh, Alabama has one of those this year. They're going to play at USF. If I'm remembering that correctly, uh, I just not often you see these, especially big SEC programs playing anywhere local at the Fiji five level. Yeah, they've been scheduling these uh, these 
teams have started doing these two for ones where where schools will do the this is a big sticking point i think with like ucf and florida or somebody like there were teams that wanted to do the the power five team wanted to do the two for one and then the the aac team told them to shove it oh it was definitely ucf yeah absolutely i mean also it's it's ucf right um it's scott but yeah i knew the you're right matt i i the alabama fan did not realize i knew the the series they had with south florida was starting this year but i didn't realize that this year was the was the in tampa game that's hilarious i just remember looking through the schedules because i did the double take because i was like no alabama's not playing at usf they are playing yeah they, at USF. they've got they've got two games in tuscaloosa the next couple but to be fair that. usf is at an nfl football stadium so maybe not quite the same effect it's also prime recruiting and that's really what these games are about usually yeah absolutely and Ole Miss recruits heavily in Louisiana and so they wanted obviously wanted this game um in Louisiana so that they can play in front of you know potential recruits but um you know they just want an excuse to go get some beignets let's be honest I wouldn't turn it down but It'll be fun, man. I uh, I'm looking forward to get and this. And Carter mentioned it. I I selfishly, when the conference move was announced, was like, okay, I don't have to go to Ruston anymore, and I get to go to Nola. And that's an upgrade. I mean, there were other upgrades, but that was probably the top of my list. Yeah, that's a pretty good upgrade. Yeah, I'm trying to think if we uh, we're on a, this is a total non sequitur. Well, not non sequitur. Total tangent now. But I'm trying to think if there are any are there are any major losses in terms of like food cities for us coming out of the USA. I don't think, I think so. UTEP. Like, but... I, you could make an argument for UTEP for sure. I think that might be the best one that we're losing, but you keep San Antonio, you keep the Dallas area for what that's worth. You get Memphis. Nothing. Adding, adding yeah. Memphis is a big one. Yeah. Getting Dallas, Dallas gets you nothing that Houston, San Antonio. Navy. Gets you all. Get some blue, blue crab. Yeah. I, I saw Chowder? At, at, at HEB the other day, they had an Old Bay flavored goldfish. And I was like, what is this? All, what is all this Maryland doing in my Texas? <laughs> hey, you can get Cafe Dumont's uh, coffee with, with hickory at HEB. I mean, okay, that we're makes preparing. more geographic sense. Okay, we're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to table this. We should, I'm now realizing, have do, do like a multi-guest podcast and have like a drafting AAC food cities. Ooh. At some point, because it's a very strong list when you think about it. Like you got you got Houston and New Orleans on there, but you also got like Memphis and like Tulsa, <laughs> Charlotte, <laughs> the, the city of Charlotte, the, the culinary powerhouse Tulsa. <laughs> Don't on Annapolis. There, there's some decent stuff there. Yeah, it's, it's oh, good man. to have the, the Mid Atlantic representative for sure. I'm, we're making notes now. We have uh, we have a long summer ahead of us, so uh, drafting AAC host cities and food choices, it's going on the list. But while we're on the, the Tulane subject, and we've we run everybody through this as we go through our previews, but like we mentioned last year when we chatted with you, I don't think we did this because we weren't really talking Tulane. We were uh, getting introduced, uh, making new friends with the AAC as a whole, but... Now that we are officially conference members in, you know, less than a month, or I guess a conference, 
we're, we were we were always conference members. Now we're members of the same conference. Easy for me to say. Uh, we want to run you through the lightning round, okay. and as this is, all answers will be held against you. And if you are right, we might forget. But if you're wrong, we will probably bring it up next year uh, if we chat with you. Uh, hold you to it. Uh, top of your head, uh, quick on your feet answers about Tulane, the AAC, and a couple things in between. It's only fair. Can handle it? That's fair. All right. We'll start easy. Toss up. Snowball. Uh, who leads Tulane in touchdowns in 2023? Michael Pratt. That just free square. All right. Uh, on the other side, this one will be a bit more tricky. Uh, who leads the team in sacks? Darius Hodges. You sure? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. How sure? 80%. Oh, okay. Then uh, a little bit deeper. Uh, who's a player for Tulane? Uh, that's not going to be an all all preseason or a preseason all conference selection. Not going to be one, but you think he probably should be. The Oscar Cardenas Memorial Award. Not Memorial, <laughs> he's alive, but yeah. Stay <laughs> Fleming. Why do you? All right, tell tell me tell me why. I know you mentioned he's fast, but oh, what's going to make him? He's stepping into the role that that was vacated by Shea Wyatt, um, who, you know, was one of Michael Pratt's favorite receivers. He's he's our tallest receiver. and Michael likes to throw to bigger receivers. Uh, he's the tallest guy that's going to play in the uh, in the starting lineup. So I think he's going to see a lot of targets and, um, you know, as a result, he's going to put up some numbers. All right. I got it. Big picture. Next question, AAC as a whole. Uh, a player you enjoy watching the most in the AAC? And just so you know, I think we've had three guests so far. Uh, two of the three have named Tulane players. You're not allowed to name a Tulane player. Favorite guy to watch in the AAC? Um, there were a lot of them that graduated last year. I'm going to say... Um, This was the hard. Uh, this was probably the hardest one. Um, well, I would, can't make I, them all too easy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. This this was a tough one. Um, I don't know if I. I don't know if I can name one to be Rice honest. Rice quarterback JT Daniels. All right, Rice quarterback JT Daniels. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I, I would probably. I would probably say last year of the guys that are actually returning, um, you know, the guy that had a great game against us that I really liked to watch play was kind of an underrated guy from SMU, RJ Maryland, the tight end. Um, I thought, I think that he's going to have a big jump this year. And I think that he was, um, he was the one guy that stood out to me when we played them that was playing hard when everybody else wasn't. Those are the best ones that that's the you mentioned grubs coming over from Louisiana Tech. I'm like, it's easiest to spot out like, OK, you're really good because you are you're making my team's life a nightmare and I can't not see you right now. Yeah, I exactly. love it. that's a good choice. All right. Back to Tulane. Rookie of the year. Rookie of the year. So are, are we going just freshman or are we just... This we, is kind of broad because transfer portal, but 
you know, you know, it, this is you can take it with wit and take it where you want. But general rookie, younger guy, newer guy, lesser experienced, uh, no like ninth year grad transfers who are playing their first season here. OK, I'm going to go with a first time starter, if that's fair. I'm going to sure. go with Machado, linebacker. OK, fill in the shoes. That sounds good. Then uh, other side, uh, team MVP. You know, the, the easy answer is Michael Pratt. Um, but I think our team MVP, aside from Michael Pratt, is Sincere Hainsworth, our center. There we go. We're getting some good answers on this question, Carter. Yeah, I, lo- I love it when uh, – because, like, you, you can't just – like, the returning star quarterback, like – uh, yeah, that's the real answer. But like nobody, just, like like say something creative. We 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 appreciate the creativity. Yeah, yeah. whatever most valuable maybe. What well, what they they, he, they they because he's coming back. He's our fourth year starter at center. He's the guy that makes a lot of the calls on on protections. And you know if Michael Pratt's um, upright and able to do his job, in large part, it's going to be because of sincere. Okay. Uh, good answer. Bonus points for that. We're scoring at home. And then uh, your pick now to win the AAC if you're not allowed to pick Tulane. If I'm not allowed to pick Tulane, I would pick UTSA. Ooh, we got multiple votes for UTSA yeah. from the old guard of the AAC. You know, interesting. Like a seventh year starting quarterback. And, uh, you know, he, this he, is true. That does but, matter. But Frank, you know, Frank is is really fun to watch, and maybe he should have been the the guy on another team that I I, I picked as uh, the most fun guy to watch. But you know, Jeff Trailer's a great coach, and like I said before, coaching quarterback those are the two most important things. You joked and you said seventh year quarterback, but. Yeah. He was a freshman in 2017. Yeah, he is a seventh-year quarterback. Yeah, I so like, that's that's accurate. If you look at <laughs> UTSA's roster right now, because I admit I had a second there, I was like, wait a minute, Frank Harris is back. He's still there. He, his bio, for some reason, doesn't have last year listed on it, but it lists him. It has him on there listed as a redshirt senior in 2021. So they had him listed as a redshirt senior two seasons ago, and he's still on the team for 2023. <laughs> what does this even mean? Oh, man. Okay, good answer and good secondary answer. Uh, now, other side of the ball, well, uh, other side of the ledger maybe, or maybe not, uh, surprise team in the AAC. I'm going to go with South Florida. I think they've got a lot of um, – I think they had some dudes last year and just didn't have a lot of uh, organization. And I think with the new coaching staff um, who knows how to put guys in position to make plays, especially on offense, I think they're going to be, uh, I think they're going to be dangerous. I don't know if they'll win, you know, nine or 10 games, but I think that they're going to go from two and 10 to seven and five. Um, I, I really do. It's interesting. I was doing some look today and, and USF was um, 
tied for second worst uh, over under win total in the conference. Yeah, I just think that they, I, I think watching them last year, they pat a lot of their players passed the eye test. And I just don't think they were put in a position to succeed. Okay. And then this has been one last question that I've unofficially added to the official list as we've been kept going and we won't make, make you name them all, but, uh, honor system. Uh, can you name all 14 teams that are going to be in the AAC this year? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> so, let's start with uh, temple and Navy East Carolina. Oh, he's going to do it. Let's go. South Florida. Uh, Tulane, SMU, Memphis, Tulsa, Charlotte, FAU, Rice, how many, uh, UTSA. You're at 12 by my count? You have two left. 12, I got two left. Um, trying to Both newbies. North Texas. Yeah. And I don't know where I'm missing. So I said, I said FAU. See, at this point, it's just going down a long list. Maybe not forgetting. I'm in, I'm impressed. We've had less than confident uh, responses in uh, I know other I'm, folks that we've talked to. Easily be able to get here. Did I say South Florida? South Florida. You did. It, it, your last one is one of the six newcomers. One of the six newcomers. So... That's not Charlotte, Rice, North Texas, FAU, or UTSA. Oh. I'm drawing I'm drawing a blank. UAB. UAB, damn it. The fighting trend. <laughs> <laughs> fighting trend. We're gonna rebrand them too. I tell you, he's gonna be a trip. It's exactly what you want to hear when, yeah. uh, as uh, your your fan base. Your head coach, he's gonna be a trip. He's, um, you, you know, I think that that's another team that has, that's a school that has a lot of potential. Um, it's in a great recruiting area. You know, it's a, it's a school that's had success before. I think that they're, they could be a dangerous team in the AAC eventually. This is fun. I think I've officially added this question, Carter, to our, to our list because. Yeah, yeah, it's happening. There's so much changeover in this conference that half the league is new. It's crazy. You started off with Temple and ECU, and I was like, well, those are the two I would have been most likely to forget. So you're on a good track here. Yeah, I think Temple is the one that I don't remember most of the time. Or Tem- Temple and Navy. Temple, Navy, ECU are the three I would be most likely to forget. Yeah. It's hard to forget ECU uh, when you've been in conference with them forever now. it's uh, They're a proud fan base, and we, we clash with them a lot in baseball. So. Um, you know they're, they're memorable. Yeah, I didn't didn't even touch on the. We're talking to the American champion Tulane baseball team. Uh, Huzzah! Yeah, the American uh, conference tournament. This champion. is just is this the year of Tulane? Is that what you, something you know, happened like? And, and our basketball team won twenty games for the first time in ten years. So we you know we had a really good really good year. Um, women's basketball went to the WNIT. So we're. Um, I honestly think that what coach Fritz was able to do, um, I don't know if, if you could say it inspired people, but he really has changed the way a lot of 
people view our athletic program as a whole. And, um, you know, he started this one and oh mentality and there, you know, there's shirts and hats all over the campus that say one and oh. And I think that they, there's really a renewed sense of school spirit that I've really never seen there. Bloomgren, the Rice staff has said all of these same anecdotes. Yeah. Like, it's coming. I'm in, man. Well, this is this is fun. Uh, congratulations on 13 and 14. I think we're going to have to start keeping score, and uh, we'll let you know how you stand up at the uh, the end of the summer. Appreciate it. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. All right. Uh, so thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, thanks to everybody for sticking with us as we march through finding uh, new conference mates and old as we expand we ex- uh, expand our uh, our little network here. Uh, but uh, thanks for hopping on with us. Thanks for listening, y'all. We will be back next week. And Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.